season and 14 weeks have gone by where Kayla and I have podcasted most of the time in the same room. This is the last week we get to do that for a while so we're celebrating and also a little bit sad but we watched some football together yesterday. That's our Sunday routine. Great times to be had by all except Kayla was pretty busy during the entire NFL Sunday. Uh, Did you sleep okay last night pal? I slept just fine. Got uh, most of my finals work in but I mean I mean, come on, NFL. Give us a little bit better of a send-off than, like, a vast majority of blowout games. Like, this was pretty rough here. I was—I told Kale, so he had a paper for his class due at 8 p.m., and he finished it at about, well, like, 7.20 or so, which is, you know, good work by you, pal. You know, didn't leave it right up till deadline. Gave <laughs> yourself a tiny little buffer there. A little bit of leeway. But— he finished at 7.20. The Bucks and Bills and the Niners and Bengals both finished up at around 8. And I think the two of us watched about the same amount of compelling football yesterday, despite the fact that I started watching at 1 p.m. Very upsetting. I mean, it's probably the best possible day to have Red Zone uh, as your main source for football consumption, because watching any one of these games was pretty brutal, in all honesty. Yeah, and what's wild is... There are so many great storylines that came out of this week, despite the fact that all the games were terrible. So I don't know how we got there, but I can't wait for like your weekend quotes this week. I can't wait to continue surfing the Twitter app all week talking about NFL because stuff happened. Stuff did indeed happen, <laughs> and most of it off-field. But, I mean, God, the news cycle of the NFL is maybe one of my favorite things to follow, period. Like, oh. off-season NFL – like free agency ain't like off-field storylines. It's oh my god! It's such a fun league to follow. Hundred percent. Well, we will we'll touch on a fair amount of off-field things in this podcast, but kicking things off with some game action, I wanted to open with that Bucks Bills game we watched yesterday because the Bills are an interesting one to figure out from this point on. I mean, they lost their fifth out of eight, but in a weird way, they may have saved their season yesterday. I don't know. Let's kind of break this one down. So on the one hand, you have the 24-3 to halftime deficit, and they look like the sky is falling. They come back. They make it 27-27. They send it to overtime. Uh, but not only do they lose in overtime, they also had third and two right on the goal line to chance to win the game, and they squandered what was essentially a golden opportunity. So net positive, net negative for the Bills yesterday. I mean, we don't like to talk about moral wins and losses, but I think that second half performance by the Bills is genuinely a moral victory. Uh, Tracy Wolfson at halftime during the CBS report from the sidelines said Sean McDermott just struggling for the right words, very emotional in terms of trying to describe that first half. Uh, You know, if this Bills team gets blown out in the second half here and loses uh, two straight games to... Uh, the Mac Jones Patriots, and then Tom Brady's Bucks. Just, I think you can genuinely hang the season up for Buffalo after that point. Like, anything that they're doing beyond then, uh, they're no longer a threat. This is a broken team. But putting up 24 points in that second half is honestly a really impressive effort on my, um, you know, just in my head. Like, that is a really resilient effort. It showed a lot of heart by the Bills. You know, Josh Allen played one of his better games this season, especially in this back half of things. Oh, yeah. But I do think this shifts 
where the Bills are at right now in the grand competitive scheme of the AFC. The Bills went into this season thinking, all right, we're one rung below the Chiefs. This is still, you know, we're second fiddle to them. We lost in AFC Championship last year, am I right? It, it's, you know, we're right at the cusp, and we can make this team just that much better, and, you know, we can compete with this Chiefs team. Now they're, it's a much different uphill battle. If they're getting into the playoffs, at this point they're getting in most likely through the wild card, depending on how things shake out in the AFC. But the Pats now have a two-game lead on the Bills with four games left to play. Uh, next game's at home. Uh, Pats have their own tough schedule with Colts and Bills back-to-back games. But, I mean, this is things are looking really shaky for the Bills. Yeah, and, if and the it, Pats win one of those two, the Bills basically can't win the division from that point forward, especially if you assume the Patriots take care of the Jaguars the following week. That Dolphins Week 18 game, I know the Pats are on bias. <laughs> you don't want so it won't... to mean anything, but yeah. Oh, my God, I don't want it. I don't want it to mean anything. My, my issue with the Bills right now is, uh, as much as I say they want to compete with the Chiefs, they did take a chance to model their offense after the Chiefs this offseason in the sense that they were going to go pass first and they were going to really open it up, spread it out, let Josh Allen strike downfield. That's why they gave him the bag. That's why they think he's worth that's what they think he's capable of doing. Uh, and being a pass-first team, the Bills kind of stripped their team down to make it as pass-efficient as possible, sacrificing on the run, sacrificing on offensive line, just a couple different places here and there. Uh, there's a point, though, where you have to wonder whether that creates some level of diminishing return. And I think I understand the Bucks front seven, uh, is one of the best run defenses in the entire league. But, man, the fact that Josh – and Josh Allen's a competent runner. He's a you know a great mobile quarterback. He can kind of do it all. It's very backyard football style. But Josh Allen being the leading rusher in that game at 12 carries, 109 yards, and a touchdown is pretty – you know, pretty damning of this Bills team. I mean, he was going 11-on-1 is what it seemed like in that second half. Like, yeah. there was no involvement at all. Singletary, Brita. I think Zach Moss is dead. Have we heard from him in a few weeks? He might He might, He might. might not be around anymore, the poor guy. I, I wrote him off in my targets and touches column for Fantasy Six Pack. I figured he's pretty much a drop there. Because Singletary's getting four carries for 52 yards. One of those is 29 yards. So he's getting more than half his, uh, you know, more than half of his rushing volume came on one carry, uh, so that 13 yards per carry is a little bit inflated there, obviously. Uh, Breed, on the other hand, who's been kind of their saving grace uh, in the run game, three carries for 12 yards, and you know one of those is an 11-yard run. Like, this team just cannot run. This There's team- just no volume there. Like, the yards per carry looks fine, but they don't trust well, it. Well, it's just all one-dimensional, and they can't get anything going outside of these big burst runs. It doesn't, like... Their one game is non-existent, and you know that happens. If they're going to throw 54 times and make it work, that's fine. But you know, you got to be able, you got to be like duplicitous. You got to have a little bit more flair to your offense here. Yeah, I think, like, and and shifting aside from some of the stuff we just talked about with the scheme, the Bills have this thing going on right now where maybe not so much the players. I mean, the players like to seem a little bit indignant. But the fans are just throwing a pity party for themselves at all times. Like, I, I can't go online right now without seeing Bills fans whining about referee stuff from each of the past two weeks. And 
Yeah, there were some iffy calls yesterday. Like there was a, a non-call on Stephon Diggs in the first half where the jersey clearly got pulled, and pass interference is always going to be tough to officiate. But I didn't come away from this game feeling like the Bills got job. Did you? But if we're also calling it that way, like the Bills also got a really soft TPI call, like in their favor. Like, the, you know, it goes both ways, and calls come out in the wash, and you can't chalk things up to one single play, obviously, that, you know, screws up a lot of momentum sometimes. But in the grand scheme of things, like, no, this was a very competitive game, and the Bills absolutely fought back and earned this. It just happened that the one, you know, the one Buccaneers touchdown in the overtime to actually win the game was the perfect... Uh, McDermott admitted it himself after the game. This was the, like... You know, they caught him off guard. That was the one play that their defense would have absolutely gotten blown the hell out on. And it blossomed the game. But being competitive with this Bucks team is, you know, a valiant effort, considering it was 24-3 at halftime, and this team looked lifeless for 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, give yourself a bit of a pat on the back here. It depends how they come out next week. It really does, because you want to take a moral victory from this fine. Like, that's definitely an encouraging effort in the second half. If you go into Carolina and handle your business, then you think, okay, maybe we really did start to build something from this game. And maybe Carolina is like a really nice opponent to be getting right now because I think if the Bills had another tough game next week, we'd be saying there's no way you can take a moral victory from this game. Like they've got no more room for error. They have to win every game from here on out. Like go time. But while I still think it's go time, I do think it's nice that they're landing on Carolina who – we don't even really have to touch on that game as a whole, no. but Carolina looks atrocious right now. I mean, now. yeah. Like, uh, I want to root for Cam. P.J. Walker's a nice story. But, like, I and, I and I do want to press back on the, you know, moral victory thing. It's just – it's a moral victory in the sense that if you get blown out by Tampa, season's toast. doesn't matter if you go 3-1 and one the rest of the way. This team is absolutely defeated. They have no real, uh, you know, their record's the same, but the morale in this locker room is completely different. Sean McDermott's a broken man. It's basically like, let's get him next year at this point. Like, it, it feels completely different than the optimism that at least glimmers in the eyes of Bills fans that they can maybe pull this one out and just try and make something of this season as a wild card team. Because now you at least have a little bit of positivity now you have at least a little bit of momentum having heading into carolina and if you can you know put together a really dominant win against a bad carolina team and show like you know if you can puff out your chest a little bit walking into foxborough in two weeks that's you know you at least have a prayer of doing something down the road you know what i mean i do um fun fact though since we're on the topic of Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott has 32 losses in a, as an NFL head coach. Eight of them have come at the hands of either Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, or both. So you're coming back into Foxborough in a couple weeks. You're going to have to reverse that trend. <laughs> I mean, God, there's there's so many Bill, uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady stats that just absolutely fascinate me. And that that one might take the cake. Yeah. That's that's up there with the Rodgers and Packers. I own you of the Chicago Bears. Yeah. I mean. Well, Brady's now thirty three and three on his career against the Buffalo Bills as a franchise. So we're, we've got some <laughs> some real estate magnates being built across the league right now. It's wild. It's like a game of Monopoly. You're just building <laughs> hotels all in Sean McDermott's brain. <laughs> that's a great analogy. All right, let's talk about that other team we were just hinting at. Let's go Packers because. While the Packers maybe, you know, they struggled to cover a spread against the Bears and gave up some 
long plays and you know there were some great Justin Fields moments last night I think what I came away from that game thinking about the Packers is this is going to be a team where if they need a score in a playoff game late it's going to be really hard to stop and I know we're coming off a year where the Packers failed to score in a big drive in a playoff game, uh, partially on Matt LaFleur's decision not to go for it, still in my estimation. But you look at the uh, the weapons this offense is bringing to the table. Devontae Adams, who we'll touch on later in the program, foreshadowing as usual, <laughs> uh, had two touchdowns last night where I think you they were completely different routes. One's a, a deep shake and go, and the other one's just a, a release inside slant off the line probably the two best routes i saw ran all day technique wise just unbelievable footwork ability to reverse field uh just like variability of foot speed that was a complicated sentence (laughs) but but Devontae adams is unbelievable and then in the backfield i don't love to you know give chris collinsworth all sorts of praise but i think he had a really good point at one point in the broadcast where there was a an A.J. Dillon run where he kind of ran into the line, realized it wasn't there, bounced it outside, and had like a nine-yard pickup nonetheless. Really impressive speed for a guy who's that physical between the tackles. And then Collinsworth said, Aaron Jones is pretty much just as good. And I was like, oh, yeah, they still have Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones ends up with a long touchdown in that game. So that offensive weaponry combined with toe god Aaron Rodgers is is really quite a formidable sight. But I think I I just want to – Talk about, like, we need more Packers stuff. We haven't really discussed how formidable that team is in the NFC to the extent that we have, say, the Bucks and, and even at times the Rams and Cowboys. I'm really high on the Packers, but I'd also like to – God, it's counterintuitive, but I'd also like to pump the brakes. Man, that offense is really good. And their defense has even come into form. Uh, you know, currently with Football Outsiders, uh, their defense – in total ranks 14th in the league they're 12th in weighted dvoa some more recent games uh count more heavily and that you know that drops that miserable week one saints game that feels like a you know a blip in our memories uh that drops that in value lower in value they're 12th in dave uh you know they've been really really strong this year and Razul douglas coming has really come into his own with the pick six last night but i'd also like to push back a little bit just saying like this defense is good, not great. Like this defense is good, not great. Uh, it's be- it's better than their defense has ever been. But the Chicago Bears offense is just it it feels pretty inept at this point. Justin Fields had one of his better games as a Bear, I guess. But there's points in Nat Maggie, uh, Nat Maggie. There's points in Matt Nagy's offense that just continue to linger, and I'm very you know I don't want to wish for a man's job, but I'm very excited to see the Chicago Bears team without Matt Nagy. Russell Douglas's pick six on Sunday Night Football came on a really just bad route. Like, this is a throw to uh, Allen Robinson, I think it was, that apparently this, you know, in analysis of this film, this little curl route that Robinson runs at the end, this curl out, has been late consistently all year by Fields. It's a flaw in their offense. It's something that hasn't been corrected through coaching or anything like that. And Douglas just made a really good pick, just jumping that route, reading the play, reading Justin Fields' eyes, and taking that to the house. And no one was there to stop him. Justin Fields kind of flops toward the end there to try and, you know, throw anything at him. But, like, part of the Packers' success has just been pure ineptitude on their part. It's just been really, really bad. Like, it, it has not been good, and it's 
genuinely surprising that, like, I, I'm surprised that their defense has been as good as it is. Uh, one of their big flaws, though, has been, uh, you know, one of their biggest defensive flaws has been rushing. Uh, they currently rank DVOA-wise. They're, uh, they're 27th in rushing. But the beauty of that is through their NFC, like, they're, they're top contenders in the NFC. How many teams are, like, outside of maybe San Francisco are really, you know, Tennessee-esque, where, like, they're leaning on a Derrick Henry or they're leaning on a crazy running back? You know, it's it's. I don't think it's really going to matter. Like, those flaws are not really going to show because if they have such a high-powered offense and, and, you know, all of the weapons that they have, and they have a really strong secondary as strong as they've been playing, oh, yeah. you know, they're not going to need to really ha- like worry about these issues. I think the Packers are absolutely one of the three teams. I think they're up there with uh, Tampa Bay and Arizona as one of the three teams that is most likely going to come out of the NFC for the Super Bowl. Yeah, and not even even if running defense does matter a little bit more than we're giving it credit for here, they're still probably getting Zadarius Smith back at some point. So I'm not saying it's going to be like that cures all issues, but – if you're thinking It'll about, help. yeah, it helps. And if like James Conner and uh, Chase Edmonds are the guys that you're worried about running in a potential NFC championship in Arizona, like maybe that's the extra thing you need to just combat that running game just a little bit. And it's not like that's, you know, a top of the line run game. It's been very good this year, but I still think Arizona, you know, that's a, that's a solvable offense. We've already seen Green Bay at least, you know, keep them at bay for one game this season. So I just wanted to touch on Green Bay. I wanted to give them some shine. It's, you know, you don't get to 10-3 and three just by accident, and I think they've been playing really good football consistently pretty much since week one. And I wanted to now talk about some teams that are not playing good football, <laughs> and that is the entirety of the AFC North, which is a division that we thought for a while was going to be really competitive and fun to follow because all the teams were good. And now all the teams look pretty bad. So I just wanted to figure out, first off, how this division is going to shake out, who we think is going to win it. And also, like, of all these teams, are any of them actual threats in the playoffs if they do happen to win it? Do we just want to go, uh, like, in divisional rankings, like what we think of these teams, maybe Mm -hmm. bottom up so we can kind of gloss over these Steelers first? Sure. Uh, Steelers are last, yeah. Steelers are dead last. (laughs) Uh, I, You know... Credit to Minnesota for making the funniest way possible of keeping their streak alive of one-score games. I think all but one of their games this season have been decided by one score or less. Impressive. Uh, Just really beyond. Like, I mean, come on. Uh, But, yeah, this, you know, Big Ben has showed flashes of his old self, dare I say, uh, in some of the throws that he made on Thursday Night Football. But, I mean, this this isn't a real team. I don't think this is... A team that's going to shake out down the road and really do much. Uh, but I do think, however, uh, they're going to be able to play a little spoiler potentially just because of the way their schedule shakes out. Uh, you know, Titans at Chiefs. I, I, I think that Chiefs team is that's going to be a weird game just because of like just the Steelers being the Steelers. Like, I, I think there's still some Tomlin in them. That, like, Here's what I see. I see if the Chiefs handle business against the Chargers on Thursday night, then they might have some trouble with the Steelers. If the Chiefs lose against the Chargers on Thursday night, they're coming out and dropping a fat one if on the, the Chiefs Steelers. Lose, yeah. If the Chiefs lose on Thursday night. Yeah, I think they're coming out and smoking the Steelers in that next week. But those last two games, 
hosting the Brown or uh, yeah, hosting the Browns and then going to Baltimore. That Baltimore Week 18 game is is you know there's two games in these next four weeks that are probably going to decide the AFC North, and one of those games is going to be Cincinnati at Baltimore in two weeks from now. Cincinnati. It's in Cincinnati, but but go on. Baltimore at Cincinnati Boom. in Week 15. Just, I, I, you know, credit to Cincy for staying in that game. I think there's a lot of good that can be taken away from uh, just Cincinnati's ability to play ball and keep up with a very, uh, you know, competitive team in San Francisco. Uh, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more. Uh, Joe Burrow played really well as, you know, he's been playing pretty well this season. But, I mean, man, this team's, like, right on the cusp. And, it, you know, they could play a little bit of spoiler for someone in the playoffs, but, like, I don't – it's a little – Big Ben would love to retire by taking the Ravens out of the playoffs, even if he's got no chance to make it himself. But that's so the watch thing. out for that in Week 18. Like, I think the Bengals are, like, a good are a good team, not a great team. But the way that the two teams above are playing, Cleveland at 7-6 and six and Baltimore at 8-5, and five, Man, this is a weird. Like <laughs> these are bad teams that are leading the division. Yeah, Baltimore. This is it's the Lamar Jackson show right now, and Lamar Jackson just it also in in all these rules about protecting quarterback play. The fact that these weird like r- Gator rolls that are are not penalties called uh, on defensive players. These weird like roll ups that ended up injuring Lamar Jackson's ankle. Uh, you know, Tyler Huntley is an interesting backup. Uh, if he played decently well, he let that, you know, Cleveland-Baltimore game be a close game. He stayed competitive while playing that game. But this week, if Tyler Huntley's playing, the Packers are going to know Tyler Huntley's playing. Even if he – they're, they're going to prep for him this week. So if he's playing, the Packers are going to have much more tape on him than I'm sure. As much as Stefanski might like to say he was crushing Tyler Huntley tape this week, I – don't anticipate I don't, that was the I case. I don't believe him. <laughs> but this is really just the Lamar Jackson show. Like, the fact that Lamar is leading in rushing yards and passing, like, I mean, obviously he's going to lead in passing yards as the freaking quarterback. But, like, the fact he's leaving, leading in rushing yards in an offense that's supposed to be so rush-heavy, uh, the fact that Lamar Jackson just really has no one to throw the ball to, it feels like, outside of Mark Andrews. Like, Mark, like if you're tight end, is not named Darren Waller or TJ Hawkinson or Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, and he's leading your team and receiving targets and receptions, uh, there's a little bit of a problem there. I'm glad Rashad Bateman had a 100-yard gain. Um, I, you know, a lot of that comes on that 36-yard catch. Uh, but there's just there's a lot of just lifelessness in this Baltimore team because it's all just being placed on Lamar Jackson's shoulders. Uh, and, Cle- and Cleveland, on the other end of things, is just, I mean, what like without this without this rushing attack this passing attack is non-existent and the uh, rushing attack wasn't that great yesterday and baker ju- it was it was one of those things where i watched baker celebrate after the game and i was like i guess you should be celebrating right now cuz you just won but you did everything in your power to try and not make your team win in that second half of football so it was just one of those like I felt sheepish watching it in a way because I was like, "This Baker's not doing himself any favors in the second half of this season. P- playing through injury or not playing through injury, this is not helping your case to make any money in the offseason. So we've been doing some schedule reading like it's, you know, basically like tarot cards for the AFC mm-hmm. North. 
And we talked about Cleveland's or uh, Pittsburgh's schedule already. Cleveland's schedule, uh, they're going, they're hosting the Raiders. They're at the Packers. They've got Steelers uh, in Pittsburgh Week 17, like I said. Then they're at the or they're hosting the Bengals Week 18. That's a you know, if they go two and two in that stretch, maybe like that's a you know who knows where this division ends up. Sensi's got the best of it all. Uh, you know these Bengals got at the Broncos versus the Ravens. Uh, you know, that Chiefs game week 17 is going to be very interesting. And then, you know, the Cleveland game week 18 feels like it's going to be decided in the division, if only because this Baltimore schedule is a gauntlet. Packers at Bengals versus the Rams versus the Steelers. And they've already lost to the Steelers two weeks ago. Or last week, I guess, at this point. They've already lost to the Bengals. And they've already lost to the Bengals. Just, this is... I mean, oh my God! Like, especially if they don't have Lamar, this season kind of feels toast. And it'd be crazy if they lost five of their last six games to lose the division. But there's a reality where that happens. There's a reality where they might lose five of these. You know, five of their last six, they might lose six straight to close it out. They, like, this is things are looking rough for Baltimore. Things are looking really interesting all around, but. Just closing note on the AFC North, since you just had a slip and, and said it, uh, Kale's taken to calling the Bengals the Bengies. I'm a little bit nervous about what that's doing to his psyche, but just to paint the picture for everyone out there, he's sitting on his couch with a nice glass of wine in front of him at about midnight last night, and he just texts, you know who I think's going to win the AFC North? Bengies. Bengies. And I just picture him like sitting there on his couch, like just thinking, "Hey, you know what's a cool name for them? Bengies. Bengies. <laughs> Most, oh. It sounds delightful. It sounds like a delightful time. It sounds time. fun. It sounds fun. It's you know when you get like you say a word enough times and it stops sounding like a proper piece of the English language. That's what I did, except with an entire franchise's uh, nickname of their nickname. So I'm trying to figure out if there's like a good version of the Bengals and a bad version, and if there is, like which of them is the Bengies? Is that the good version? Well, there's the Bengies and the Bungles. Yeah, okay, there you go. It's so, the Bengies and the Bungles. <laughs> so even though they lost yesterday, they still showcase their their Bengies side. <laughs> I'm gonna. You've killed this immediately. I'm. I'm very. I'm very ready to retire. I'm All right. It's. It was dead before it took life. Three fifteen p.m. <laughs> Mark the time. <laughs> Bengis is dead. All right. Fifteen hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah. Feels fitting. <laughs> Speaking of which, it's three fifteen p.m. And as of right now, Urban Meyer is still the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So. If this podcast comes out by tomorrow and those things have changed, you know, our apologies, but... Our going, apologies. I'm crossing my fingers, Jackson. Yeah, well, going, going under the assumption this is that Urban Meyer is still employed by the Jacksonville Jaguars when this drops, uh, why? The Tom Pelissero piece that came out this week is one of the f- more fun and shocking reads I've had from the NFL this season. Uh, I'll, I'll save you most of it. Uh, but I will read the small bulleted section as a Tuesday morning reading. Uh, in the two weeks alone, uh, in the sorry, in the past two weeks alone, sources say one receiver Marvin Jones, one of the locker room's most respected and mild-mannered veterans, became so angry with Meyer's public and private criticism of the receiver group that he left the facility until staff members convinced him to come back, and he had a heated argument with Meyer during practice. 
during a staff meeting. Meyer delivered a biting message that he was a winner and his assistant coaches are losers, according to several people informed of the contents of the meeting, challenging each coach individually to explain when they've ever won and forcing them to defend their resumes. Three, contrary to his public statements that it was injury-related, Meyer ordered Robinson's benching after an opening drive fumble in last week's 37-7 road loss to the Rams, then had running backs coach Bernie Parmalee uh, Parmalee. <laughs> Parmalee. Whatever. Bernie Parmalee stopped Robinson from re-entering the game, insisting Carlos Hyde, parenthetical, who played Meyer, who played for Meyer at Ohio State, stay in. Only after Lawrence questioned Meyer on the sideline about Robinson's absence was Robinson allowed to return late in the second quarter. Speaking to reporters this week, Lawrence said, bottom line is, James is one of our best players, and he's got to be on the field, and we addressed it. And I feel like we're in a good spot as the whole team. We're good. Now, anytime you have to say over and over again, this is fine, we're in a good spot, things are okay, probably not. Now, Meyer got heated at the press conference after talking about the fact that, you know, if we have to solve these things through leaks, then there's a problem. He wants the leaker fired. You know, I mean, they like maybe just Trevor should stick his hand up and say, hey, Meyer, I was the leaker. Send me out of town. Like, <laughs> Do something here. That'd be great for Trevor's career, I think, if he were able objectively, to do that. <laughs> objectively freed from Urban Meyer's, you know, whatever this is. I think the funniest thing was the, uh, you know, even Jacksonville media is getting testy at this point. Uh, one reporter in the post-game press conference for Urban Meyer yesterday, a game in which Trevor Lawrence had four interceptions and was sacked three different times, a reporter asked Meyer, You've been telling us all year that you've had faith in this offensive line. They're getting their ass handed to them every week. What's going on there? A little bit of a pregnant pause on both <laughs> sides. Reporter follows up. They're getting paid a lot of money to be better than what they've been. Well, two seconds of extra pause. And Urban Meyer, you know, turning away from the mic, looking down and dejected to the bottom right and goes, yeah. Yeah. Full five seconds of silence. <laughs> and then you hear the orator or the, uh, you know, whoever's operating the press conference go, uh, next question. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! It, it, like that was great. The the his press conference quote after the game about Marvin Jones Jr. was great because he goes, uh, "We talked about that and he's great. We moved on." One thing about Marvin and there's a lot of players, especially these professional veterans. There's a lot of pride. Some guys aren't used to this, and he's one of them. But he's fantastic, and we have a fantastic relationship. But who, if not Marvin Jones Jr wouldn't be used to going 2-11 and 11 every season. Like, isn't that, like, the hallmark of his career, starting with Cincinnati and then going to Detroit? Like, that's exactly what Marvin Jones is used to. He is as much of a dependable Urban Meyer player as you could possibly dream up this season. So I, I just think Urban's lost his head a little bit. The fact that Marvin Jones has been through the tail end of the Marvin Lewis era uh, – he got the full brunt of the Matt Patricia experience in Detroit and then is now going on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The fact he's been, you know, he's Andy Dufresne marching his way through shit in Shawshank Redemption, uh, just miles and miles of feces just to get freedom at some point. Uh, the fact that this is the thing that's broken him, uh, the <laughs> fact that this is the thing, Urban Meyer is what it took. This Jacksonville team is what it took to actually break Marvin Jones and have him, you know, leave the practice facility. He's been a very agreeable, mild-mannered veteran that's been on a lot of bad teams. And the fact that this is the coach that fully broke this man should is very indicative of how 
god awful a coach Urban Meyer has been. I'm shocked that this, you know, that he was able to make it through Dublin. I'm sh- like the Dublin, <laughs> Ohio incident. That feels like eons ago at this point. <laughs> I'm shocked he was able to make it through half the things he was. You know, it's it started with his strength coach. It's he's had three different coaches leave the coaching staff since uh, the team took like since he was hired at this point. Uh, it's you know there there were points where he was you know very sheepishly like I'm I'm not gonna go back to college I'm very committed <laughs> to this this Jacksonville team this is where I'm at now and this is where I want to be if Shad Khan wasn't so absolutely enamored with trying to get Urban Meyer into the building and apparently according to the Pulitzer report has been for years wanted Urban Meyer as his head coach the fact that if, if that wasn't the case he would have been gone weeks ago I feel like I he just had wanna- to be. I want to give the Jaguars some things to examine. So let's go to the criteria to examine for struggling teams. And this is from Fox Sports football analyst Urban Meyer back in 2020. (laughs) The criteria to examine are trust issues, dysfunctional environment, and selfishness. So I think as long as the Jaguars can listen to 2020 Urban Meyer and take a look inside and figure out what to do about 2021 Urban Meyer... They're gonna be in a really good place moving forward, and I feel good about it. I, oh my god, the, like the Travis Etienne, <laughs> like how many things can I list here? Um, I'm, how how has, how is this team let down? Uh, a generational number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. And so immediately. So, so immediately. <laughs> it's not like there are no positives to take from Trevor Lawrence's rookie season. And the fact that he's had to, like, stand on the table and demand that his backfield partner and somebody who can take the weight off his shoulders, like, even be in the football game is just, le- like, levels of insanity that I can't imagine having to go through as a 21-year-old kid just trying to make it in the NFL. Any, indi- any individual life. take that you can have about Trevor Lawrence and like surface level stuff, yeah, like the interceptions have been really like his turnover rate has been abysmal, and there's like some really, like there's some real things that you can look at to detract from Trevor Lawrence at this point. But any positives you can give him at this point for someone that's so genuinely like that was a talent coming out of Clemson, he was you know he was he was a number one overall pick when he was graduating high school. You know what I mean? Like the fact that. You have to like really dig into all twenty-two tape to figure out like what he's been doing well, and to realize that most of his good passes have probably been dropped or misread by wide receivers, and the fact that he's just you know he's he's being let down on every front, and and there are there is some I hope this is a growing opportunity for Lawrence, and that he's able to bounce back from this, and that you know this is he'll be better off for the you know the things that he's been put through, but the fact that he like just so immediately and objectively let down at every single turn is insane to me. I I can't believe that I still have more things to bring up with the Urban Meyer stuff, but I have two more. First, I'm going to go to a quote from yesterday from Titan safety Kevin Byard because there was a play where LaVisca Chenault and Laquan, Laquan Treadwell just straight up ran into each other, both ended up on the ground, did a heap on top of each other, and Lawrence's pass just sails wide of everything, of course, harmlessly to the ground. Kevin Byard said about that play, quote, I was laughing, to be honest. At the end of the game, guys running into each other, 
I don't want to say too much on it, but I was talking trash to them a little bit. It's tough for them boys over there. <laughs> like, hey, at least you can recognize it, man. Things have been tough. How tough? They haven't scored more than 20 points in seven straight games <laughs> as an offense. If you're getting pitied by the Titans, <laughs> like one of the most injury maligned teams in the league, yeah. and just they've had their own uphill battles this year, you, you know, feel bad for yourself, objectively. Like, yeah. seriously. And last thing that I have to bring up is, so appropriately, there's a video that came out earlier this season of all elite wrestling guys going into Urban Meyer's office and throwing each other against the wall with footballs. Like, you just can't make this stuff up. Like, how does this exist? Charlie Strong's, like, standing there tossing footballs to this dude with a mullet and giant arm brace and leather vest on so he can pistol whip his buddy and then urban meyer hands him his laptop so he could whip the guy over the head with it like how is this a real quote like how did they not foresee how ironic and hilarious this was going to look you know a mere eight nine weeks later in the <laughs> national public spotlight yeah urban meyer's just got a toxic workplace <laughs> culture <laughs> actively violent oh my god so i mean we can't we can't we keep can't harping keep on this. we can't keep we can't, going this we, is all we've got jackson time for. jackson wasn't ready to you know get swayed by any any teams with less than six wins a couple weeks ago, and all of a sudden we're dedicating 15 minutes to the 2-10 Jaguars. Yeah, that's appropriate. This is the appropriate use of time on a 2-10 football team. 2-11, excuse My me. My apologies. So they're, they're disgusting. Can't wait for them to play the Texans next week. The Texans must just be looking at this game like, how are we the more functional organization right now? I'm so excited to dig into that slop and have it on my TV. <laughs> Frankly, I'm frankly, there's, my lips. frankly, there's no other good football games next Sunday, especially during the early window. So why not just the two of us just FaceTime through the entirety of Texans Jaguars? Slop, slop, all, all in on it. All right, we're we're moving on. Finally, let's talk about some game balls from this week. Some pleasant things to talk about for once. Uh, we already spilled the beans on Devontae Adams. So, Kale, why don't you just pick up where I left off a little earlier on? Yeah, after, you know, dedicating all that time to one segment, we can breeze through Devontae Adams. I mean, best wide receiver in football. Like, he can absolutely do it all. I get having Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback is a bit of a bit of a benefit, but, I mean, man, 10 receptions, 121 yards, two touchdowns on 13 targets, longest of 38. Uh, and, you know, reading a box score doesn't do it justice. I mean, Jackson already pointed out, like his his route running's phenomenal. He is able to score in so many different ways, uh, and you know he makes guys like Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez Scantling, and he makes these other options for Green Bay seem so much more viable because he's just that. He's, he's leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else in that organization from a receiver standpoint, and he's just. Maybe one of the best skill position players in football, and I think it's realistically the only thing that has kept uh, kept Rodgers around. And I, he is absolutely, if we're going back to that last dance metaphor that they started the season with, he is absolutely the Pippin to uh, Rodgers' Jordan. I mean, just hats off to him. Just, I, I hope, if they can't squeak out a ring this year, uh, I hope he ends up going to a contender because he is going to make any team immediately and infinitely better. Yeah, and one of our favorite NFL motifs is the 
the tweet archetypes for positions and wide receivers being the most entertaining of that. You know, you always see the screenshot where the, the wide receiver tweets, the enemy speaks softly and carries a knife. <laughs> Devontae Adams really lives up to that mantra, and he also throws out some absolute gems. And last night, he just the only thing he had to say after the game was, question, when has mocking the belt ever worked out well? Two question marks, LOL. Twitter superstar Devontae Adams, thank you for your contributions. Um, I got a game ball for a guy who set a career high during a week when none of us thought he was going to play. So Dalvin Cook, two weeks ago, looks to – I mean, I thought his season was over when he first suffered that shoulder injury on the field at Levi's Stadium, and he's getting carted off, and his teammates, you know, appear to be, like, emotional for him. It was just a moment where I thought, oh, gosh, like, one of the best running backs in football season is over. And – then he misses a week. You hear he might be coming back in a couple weeks. All good news. Things are trending up. Out of nowhere, like the day before Thursday Night Football, all the Schefter Rappaport types are suddenly tweeting, Dalvin Cook might play tomorrow night. I'm thinking, are they crazy? <laughs> Is this the craziest thing an NFL team's ever had to do? Like they've got very capable backup Alexander Madison. This is a home game. It's a short week. Like all the signs are there that it's probably not a good idea to be running Dalvin Cook back out on the field. What does he do? He goes for 27 carries, 205 yards. That's a career high on the ground, 7.6 yards per carry. That is more than healthy. Didn't even have like a 70-yarder, so those are just – he was picking up chunks every single time he touched the ball, and he had two touchdowns. I do want to mention, I don't think that's just – it's not only a career high for him. I think it's a season high for any running back. In total yardage, if I remember correctly, that 205-yard game. I, I mean, valiant, valiant effort. This is—it's one of the only things that is keeping this Minnesota Vikings team afloat. Is there? Is just their sheer, you know, volume of skill position players like Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, KJ Osborne. Uh, Get feeling back, feeling, please. Feeling if he's healthy. I mean, J- Jackson's a little selfish because he was. Uh, Missing for an, a, a peak moment for Jackson's fantasy team Ugh. as a Adam Thielen owner. I don't even so want to talk about what's happened little, to my fantasy team the past couple weeks. He's a little biased there, but I mean, it is true. Like this team, this team's off offensively at least could be very good if if they had someone slightly better than Kirk Cousins. Yeah. You know, coming into the week, by the way, I think Adams passed him, but Adam Thielen led the NFL in touchdown receptions since the start of 2020 coming into this week. So really, yeah, he's the best number two in football, if you ask me. Like I understand that you know we're we're biased towards him because he was on my fantasy team, <laughs> but that dude is a legit game changer if they get him back. And this is one of the reasons that if we have to give one of these terrible NFC teams the seven seed, I think we would prefer it to be the Vikings just because A, they're fun to watch, and B, we know something chaotic is going to happen in whatever playoff I was going to say, anytime the Vikings are on wild card weekend, we know it's going to be. We're going to get Popcorn is out. <laughs> All right, well, Dalvin Cook, long and short of it, Dalvin Cook, congrats on your game ball, and we will be coming back to this Thursday night football game later in the show for multiple reasons. I love that that became, I love that Dalvin Cook's game ball became an Adam Thielen (laughs) fan. Upstaged by the handsome guy. Uh, Let's talk defense. Uh, I can go first this time. There's a guy who consistently gets recognition but I'm still not sure he gets enough for how good he's been this soon and it's Micah Parsons now the Dallas defense as a whole 
hadn't been healthy in a really long time. I think somebody showed me that yesterday was the first time yesterday was the first time they had Randy Gregory, Parsons, and Demarcus Lawrence on the field for the first time since week one. So getting healthy at the right time, this defense can be really nasty when you throw it all together. We saw it for three quarters until Kyle Allen started getting kind of weirdly frisky. Uh, and I don't want to put too much of that on the defense either because Dak threw one of the worst pick sixes I've ever seen given the situation and how awful of a throw it was. But those first three quarters, the Dallas defense completely shut down a Washington football team that was riding high coming in on this four-game win streak. And Parsons was just such a key reason. He's now got sacks in six straight games. To do that your first year in the NFL, unbelievable stuff. And he had two yesterday. So great all-around game for the Cowboys, but if I had to single one guy out, not just for this performance, but the bulk of what he's been doing all year and maybe being overshadowed even a bit on that defense by Trevon Diggs and at times Gregory as well, like Parsons has got to be the guy for me. I mean, yeah. He's not only – he's. I mean, he's got defensive rookie of the year pretty much locked up at this point. But I do think he's he's legitimately like a dark horse for defensive player of the year. If if Trevon Diggs, which first off, let me talk about the Trevon Diggs. I don't want to make it another game ball where we diverge and talk about a teammate. Uh, but you know, interceptions are very situational. They are a statistic that comes about like you can ha- you know, like you can be a ball hawk and being a ball hawk is good. Uh, but you know, interceptions and pass breakups are one and the same. But when Trevon Diggs is not picking off balls, he's letting up touchdowns. Like, he is letting up one of the higher passer ratings when targeted uh, of any corner on the year. And it's it's gotten a little bit better in recent weeks, but especially in the beginning of the year when he was, you know, averaging a pick a game. Quarterbacks were still targeting him. He was getting all those picks because quarterbacks were still targeting him because their teams were scoring when throwing to Trevon Diggs. It was either a turnover or a touchdown. Now... Mike Parsons, on the other hand, is, is has such defensive versatility. Plug him in on the edge, line him up as a linebacker, stand up, sit down, four point stance, you know, hands on knees, anything you want to put Micah Parsons in, he's going to dominate. The fact it's it's really it blows my mind how good he is, and and you know, the fact he's the first uh, you know non cornerback taken off the board. I know Dallas was really kicking themselves with how their draft shook out, uh, and you know they desperately needed the corner. It turns out they didn't because you know Trevon Diggs, ball hawk. But Michael Parsons really fell into this team's lap, and it's it's worked out so well. You know, seventy-five total tackles, twelve sacks on the year. He's already he's already set the uh, Cowboys franchise record for tackles by a rookie in a single season. The forced fum- the three forced fumbles. You know, a couple pass breakups. It just, oh my, he's really, really, really talented in everything he does. I'm really excited to watch this guy continue to flourish. And man, I can't believe the Cowboys got another, like, you know, linebacker they can hang their hat on. Oh, I think he is maybe the most talented from a purely physical standpoint that they've ever had. And that's a team that's had, I mean, it depends if you want to call it DeMarcus Ware a defensive end or a linebacker. But Edge. Yeah. Edge, I mean, he's right up there. Like, that's how good I think he can be. Um, one thing you did say was how versatile he was, and that made me think of Swiss Army Knives. And that brought me back to yesterday when Taylor Heineke was walking off the fields in Washington, and all of a sudden he reached down and picked up this pair of scissors that was just lying there. So 
I mean, this isn't a harp on the Washington football team segment, but that's how that's how Burn dysfunctional FedEx that is. Field to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Start from scratch. Why are there scissors Top lying down, in the grass? Owner to franchise <laughs> logos and we all. We did we did a sage cleansing of MetLife Stadium earlier this season. It worked for a little while, and now it doesn't work anymore. But we can't even cleanse FedEx Field. We actually need it to be in smolders it's, as yeah, soon it's as not, possible. It's not sage. It's an exorcism yeah. at this point. Goodbye. Uh, my defensive game ball. <laughs> there's no, there's no way to pivot out of that. There's legitimately no way to pivot out of that. Like, <laughs> this is staying in. So you. Oh, we're rolling. fine. We're good. Uh, my defensive game ball. You know, I usually save my uh, my single play home run uh, game balls for the special teams end of things, but I'm gonna give one to uh, the defensive unit here. Miles Garrett, uh, first off, if we're talking about depoy candidates, Miles Garrett is right up there as a favorite, and I think, you know, he should be, like, this defense is partly the reason why Cleveland is in the position to take on the AFC North the way they are, especially the way this offense has been playing. Uh, just the total amount of weapons that they've had uh, as a defensive unit, and it really starts with Miles Garrett here. It really starts with just this team, the the the... the strip sack into fumble recovery into touchdown by Miles Garrett is one of the more Herculean things I've seen from a defensive player in some time. It's just it, it's it's Judavian Clowney South Carolina Michigan esque. Yeah. Where it's just pop, palm, and go. <laughs> like, oh my God. And Judavian a- Clowney himself had a couple unbelievable plays for this same Browns defense yesterday, including the, maybe the second biggest play that they had besides the Garrett touchdown where he sacked Tyler Huntley on, like, second and ten to make that pretty much an insurmountable drive that they would have just needed a field goal to win. It's it's a really impressive defensive unit, and I'm really glad that Miles Garrett's fully getting the national recognition that he's kind of deserved. And not for bludgeoning someone over the head in this case either. Yeah. <laughs> People forget Mason Rudolph. That was... <laughs> I, I, I completely Now people forget. I forgot about that. <laughs> but, yeah, hats off to Miles Garrett. Game ball to him. Nice. Uh, let's do your special teams home run game ball while we're on the topic. I want to hear about a guy with dad speed. This is the number one thing I thought of when I saw this play. I was like, how many Mr. Mister X seniors can return a punt for a touchdown in the world right now? Jakeem Grant Sr. of the Chicago Bears. 97-yard touchdown return. And and mind you, this there should have been, and, and this is partly pivoting into head scratchers, uh, there should have been more kick return touchdowns in this game. Uh, you know, I, I hate the uh, run out of bounds and come back uh, penalty that nullifies all plays because usually those guys are not even typically involved in the play itself. Uh, so I really can't stand those calls. And... Uh, you know, a part special teams game ball to Carlos Santos, Cairo Santos, not Carlos, San- <laughs> Cairo Santos, uh, for that onside kick that uh, you should be able to return onside kicks. I understand for injury reasons why you can't, and that you're sort of putting all these team, you're putting all these players up at the line of scrimmage, where if you just kick it over over the top and someone gets it, like you know, it's. If you had the rule in that ret- that kicking teams could return their own onside kick, uh, it would be abused in some way. Uh, but you should absolutely be able to return them. It, it should, 
the, that should have been yeah. another touchdown. You can legislate that. You can say, like, if the ball bounces before the 45-yard line, then it's returnable, something like that, to dissuade whatever you're talking about. Something like that. But regardless, Jakeem Grant had one of the more impressive kick returns that I've seen since the, you know, aforementioned uh, Jacksonville, Arizona, uh, you know, returned field goal. I think it's one of the best plays of the year, and, man, I love. It's why I want to keep kick return or kickoffs and punts in the game of football, and I think they should equally be a part of it. Because I think I, I, I have zero statistical information to back this up, but I do feel like we've seen more kickoff and punt returns for touchdowns this year than we have in in at least the last five years. Yeah, probably since they changed the rules, at least, to, yeah. to dissuade people from running back kickoffs. And since, I, I mean, definitely since the Devin Hester days, because that was... A phenomenon unlike anything we've seen before or since. But you know Jakeem Grant Sr. had a good return when Devin Hester's name starts trending on Twitter because of him. <laughs> That's the uniform, Kale. It's a beautiful uniform that you refuse to talk about in the uniform segment this week. We so. see it once a year. There's no reason to talk about it. It's a very plain matchup. It's existed for over 100 years. I am joshing. Uh, but let me let me move on and, and quickly hammer home my special teams game ball because there weren't a ton of other great options. And you mentioned Santos, and I thought about maybe using him just for his onside kick, but I wasn't going to give two game balls to the same team that also lost their game. So I had to pivot, and I wanted to give it to a guy, not for his performance on the field yesterday, because frankly I think he had – a pretty like average to slightly above average game for an NFL punter. But Texans punter Cameron Johnston was the most talked about thing during the early window of NFL games. <laughs> and part of this is because the games were so boring. But they cut to Johnston on the sideline with his helmet off, and he looks like swole Bill Burr. And everyone's talking about it. So Kevin Clark goes, that is Bill Burr. Sorry, I know Bill Burr when I see him, and that is Bill Burr. And then five minutes later, Bleacher Report, friggin', you know, Barstool, whoever else, every single outlet, PFF, they all have pictures of Cameron Johnson on the sideline saying congrats to Bill Burr on his most recent punt. Like, it was everywhere. And I've, frankly, it's a very good comparison. Yeah. <laughs> he really does look like Big ass, you know, Bill Burr been hitting the curl rack for a while. That's that's why he's getting a game ball this week, and I don't want to. I'm not going to hide it. I'm, it's a I'm, meme. I'm glad that our uh, our once sacred special teams game balls have <laughs> essentially pivoted to digital impact now. Memes, yeah, yeah memes. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Uh, and you know what? No, nobody made a game winning field goal this week. So most games weren't close enough to have a game winning field correct. goal. So that's the, it is what it is at this point. Take it or leave it. And I guess it's time to do head scratchers. <laughs> and in a week like this, you know that there had to be some absurd head scratchers. And we've we've talked about one of the games that was involved. We've brought up minimum three head scratchers on yeah. this podcast already. We've talked Jackson. about one of the games that was involved. We haven't really talked about the other game that was involved. And these are two of the best head scratchers of the year. So I'll go first. I think this is the head scratcher of the year. Cast your minds back, if you will, to the <laughs> the simpler times of Thursday when Chase Claypool catches a slant on fourth and one, and it seems as though that's going to keep Pittsburgh's hopes alive to go get a game-tying touchdown. He catches it with 38 seconds left on the clock. He then proceeds to point 
while still on his knees in celebration of the first down, it takes a couple seconds up. Trey Turner, his right guard, comes over like, hey, dude, what are you doing? We need to go snap the ball. And Claypool's like, no, come on, man, you're ruining my celebration right now. In comes Eric Kendricks, Vikings linebacker, and he's like, hey, I'll take this ball. Slips it behind his back, drops it on the ground. All of a sudden, it's 14 seconds later. The Steelers finally get the ball snapped, spiked. And Claypool somehow is pissed off at Trey Turner. He's like, dude, you just ruined my moment. Actively screaming at Trey Turner. Like, the, the replay of that scene, or the replay of that play, immediately, you know, there's there's a couple seconds left over after the snap of the ball, and you see Chase Claypool lose his mind at Trey Turner. It makes no sense. And not to, you know, the quote after is just as damning as the actions on the field. A reporter asked Chase, why celebrate the first down there late? Obviously cost your team a few seconds. And his response, definitely got to be better. I tackled, I got tackled near the hash, did my little first down point, and went to hand the ball to the ref. He had just got there. So even if I got right up and looked for him, he wasn't there. So he ran down the field to come get the ball. Ball got knocked out of my hands. That's what cost his time. Mm. But I definitely have to be better. I knew the situation. I know I'm near the hash. I know where the ball's placed on the hash. I need to be better. And the ball shouldn't have gotten knocked out of my hands. Have a little bit of self-awareness. Have wow. a little bit of situational awareness for the moment. Like it, it's it's not a it's not the Chase Claypool show. I, hey, you know what gave the guy enough time to knock it out of your hands? You celebrating on the ground. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen if you pop right up and start looking for the ref. I don't think Mike Tomlin's playing music at practice anytime soon. Oh, buddy. <laughs> there there was a video that was like that play synced up with Larry Fitzgerald catching a pass and falling to the ground in a similar situation where they need a spike and. It was a full 10 seconds longer that it took for the Steelers to get it snapped. And if you'll recall, the Steelers lose the game on a pass into the end zone on a play that started with three seconds left. So he cost them one, very possibly two, more plays at the end of that game. And you you got to think Minnesota's going to adjust after, uh, you know, them going into cloud coverage <laughs> against the Detroit Lions and trying to, like, you know, prevent, like, a Hail Mary shot after they 15 were our, yards after away. After they were our head scratcher of the week last week, you yeah. think they wouldn't change something? You, yeah. You think, you hope they might have learned something from that, but you got to at least have one more shot of that. Like, yeah. that is a very winnable game for Pittsburgh. Minnesota loves playing close games. They love hemorrhaging points late. <laughs> uh, so it's very possible the Steelers win that game. Maybe, And, you know, I know it comes down to a two-point conversion, but, I mean, man, that just that whole sequence just absolutely nuked the uh, Steelers' chances of winning that game. And it, it kind of rests squarely on... Chase Claypool's shoulders, uh, with a small uh, bit of ingenious credit to Eric Hendricks for screwing that one up. Who could have been flagged for a 15-yard delay a game penalty? Probably should have. Yeah, <laughs> if he was caught. Hey, it's only a, it's only a crime if you don't get caught. You so underestimate congrats. my sneakiness. Yeah, good job, Eric. Uh, my head scratcher uh, comes from a blowout, blowout loss, uh, and you can probably guess. That it's Kansas City Chiefs and Las Vegas Raiders. I don't know. There are a lot of blowouts this week. Kevin. A lot of, you do a lot have of, to specify sorry, in this case. There were the, the blowiest out of the blowouts of 48-9 Chiefs mm. in favor of the Raiders. Uh, now, this is a team that notoriously plays a uh, very uh, – uh, a, a defense that the Chiefs – Absolutely tear apart. We've, we've you it's know, a Chiefs friendly defense. We've rehashed this whole sequence where 
you know, the Chiefs' win totals have been low. Uh, you know, I can rattle off their point totals, and you would see two outliers of, you know, uh, you know, 20 point like three points against the Titans, 20 points with a pick six against the Giants, 13 points against the Packers, 41 against the Raiders, and 15 against, or 19 against the Cowboys, 22 against the Broncos with a the pick, pick six, six. <laughs> 48 against the Raiders. <laughs> and you know, you know what, the, you know what the Raiders did to try and raise some morale? Ugh. The team, as a as a team unit, not just one player, as a t- unified symbolic gesture of 53 men on the roster. <laughs> Walked to the center of the arrowhead at midfield and stomped on it as a little like we're better. Like, what do you have to prove there? You get, do you want to prove? <laughs> what are they the, saying? Yeah. yeah. What's the message? To you still lost the by outside world. Thirty nine points. <laughs> I mean, God. Like, I mean, we talk about self awareness here, but like, oh my ah, I I. There's not a lot to be said about that one. It's just like I mean, talk, I'm currently like rubbing my eye. It's not Ugh. head scratching. It's like. Headache-inducing <laughs> perform like just the headache-inducing the headache-inducing moment of the week I presented guess. by Advil. I guess there it is. The I will read the book, and and I'm not a big book guy. Kales lent me some books to try and get my football knowledge up over our upcoming winter break. But giving them homework when basically when the book comes out about the 2021. Las Vegas Raiders. I promise to you all that I will read it because we'll do a full book club and yeah, everything. It just an unbelievable season. Some of which for very dark reasons. You know, I I'm not typically like a guy who likes to read uh, controversial, sad stuff. But just the totality of what this season has turned into for the Las Vegas Raiders. I think it it warrants a great book, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Whether that's a year, or five years down the line, it will get written at some point. Trust me, because this is a I mean, just the intro to Vegas in general is mm. going to be a a case study in professional sports. And, and like, it's crazy because, like, the Golden Knights went to the Stanley Cup their first year. Like, the Vegas Knights have, have not had, you know, much controversy surrounding their name. But, you know, I guess because it's the Raiders. That, uh, Raiders. that it's a little <laughs> little bit of a different ballgame. Just a real chaotic back and forth season that I really look forward to somebody dissecting more in more detail. But as is often the case around here, we we just kind of toss uniforms to the side and I don't want to do that. And it's Kale's our favorite segment. How yeah, do we not? Yeah, we it, well we talked about jaguar tongues for 10 minutes one time. That was <laughs> you want to talk about weird tangents. That was the the goat for the season so far. So I'll go first cuz you know what? Kale's, Kale's badgered me all season to get a little bit more contrarian with my uniform game picks. And I'll admit, like, I'm typically more of a fan of two more traditional, classic-looking football uniforms on the same field. You know, football's football's a nostalgic game for me. I love just things that remind me of other football games I've watched throughout life. And a lot of these uniforms play a big factor into that. But this week... I did want to, you know, follow his advice a little bit, and there was a game that I don't like either of the uniforms that were on the field, especially the away team. Like, I think there are some huge design flaws with both of these uniforms, but something about watching an afternoon game in the dim, cold Sunday light of MetLife Stadium and seeing an all-green New York Jets team against this white with gold pants and gold helmet saints team there's just something about it that really worked it was like a it was like a christmas wreath with 
you know, nice traditional lights Gold on tinsel, it. Yeah. yeah. It just, it worked. And I don't know what it was. Like, you know, the only thing I could think of that was those two colors is like the University of South Florida Athletics. But something about that game just hit for me in terms of the color palette. So I wanted to give it its shine this week on the pod. Way to, way to come out of your shell there, Jackson. And yeah. it was really like... And, you know, we we have a constant dialogue going between games of, uh, you know, we could have a seven-hour commentary podcast of our Sunday viewing that would, you know, talk about tangents. But yeah, don't, don't, tempt, <laughs> don't tempt us. <laughs> don't make us do that. The, uh, just that, like Jackson said it immediately as we started watching games. It's like, there's something. Like, I, we ended up with Red Zone this week. Jack's like, there's something about this Jets Saints game that I love, and you know, we we retweeted on the main page, but like, I was I was pleasantly surprised, Jackson. It, hey, it uh, like I mean, the Jets all greens, I, I that them uh them jumping around on Thursday night football to four four two two by Lil Uzi Vert, just <laughs> different set of greens, but yeah, and, I mean, it's same moment. concept. <laughs> But just, like, that's what I think about in those all-greens from the Jets. Uh, I think about, I'm pretty Saints sure that were. was the what they were wearing. Oh, no, it was, it was in New England, right? Or Which? was it the Seeing Ghosts game? I think that was all-greens, wasn't it? It may have been. I I remember the quote more than the uh, the visual. You know, it's funny because you can't really see ghosts. Because <laughs> <laughs> really? they're invisible. <laughs> you, don't, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those I mean, those Saints whites and golds are awesome too. Uh, I disagree wholeheartedly. Oh, I like them. I like. Them. I think they look great. They need a touch up. Like the color palette is good. The enormous black stripe on the collar and like the pants aren't any good. And there's the helmets el- there's the elements of it that yeah. are weak. Yes, I, I'm very excited to see what teams come up. Whatever these helmet uniform or helmet rules change, because mm. I think teams Finally. are going to get very creative and it's going to make these. It's going to make the uniform segment that much better. Can't wait. Let's, uh, let's move to yours. My uniform game. Uh, you know, we've already touched on it slightly. Uh, it was Bucks Bills for me. I, I I think the Bills all whites are some of the fastest looking uniforms in football. Uh, they're really fun. Uh, I you know, it's, Trey White looks like he can jump. I, I know he's not playing, but like he looks like he can jump an extra foot in the air defending balls. And Josh Allen looks like he can throw a ball seventy yards out of like just with a flick of his wrist when he's wearing those uniforms. I think they're. You know, just real fantastic. Blue numbers, the red accents are perfect. You know, the white helmets go great with them. Uh, and I'm going, you know, the Bucks uniforms, I don't think they're my favorite, but I do love just the shade of red with the pewter helmets. I, I think it really works out well. Jackson's Jackson's ha- has a little disdain for white pants versus white pants, and I don't think these are the best pants that the Bucks have, but there is something really satisfying about the uh, – Dark brown socks with the red accent stripe up the white pants. I think cumulatively this uniform works really well, and just a red on red matchup. You know, I, I I'm a sucker for colors. I almost like you know, <laughs> I, I'm a sucker for teams with uh, similar colors playing each other. I almost gave uh, this uniform game to uh, Steelers Vikings for the yellow on yellow game. Uh, but yeah, just uh, in my opinion, just two pretty strong t- in like in total uniforms going up against each other, making a pretty uh, pretty good visual experience. Yeah, I would have much preferred if they were wearing the pewter pants for this one. And not only are they both wearing white pants, they both have red stripes on the side with two smaller accent color stripes to the outside of that. And from a distance, you really can't see what's blue and what's pewter. So it just looks like they're wearing the exact same pants. But I'll, I'll get off my high horse just because the rest of the uniform matchup was very good, and 
no man should talk about another man's pants for that long. So <laughs> um, let's move on. <laughs> you wanted to move on from that one. You had to leave that one lingering. Oh, no, I, I mean, we can let it hang as long as we need to. But uh, let's let's do what we rarely do and let's do an actual uh, Monday night football recap, uninformed recap, instead of just prognosticating what we think is going to happen. Uh, second straight week that we're missing out on dissecting what what promises to be a very exciting game. The only thing that's kind of eating away at the excitement of this game is that as we speak at 3.59 on Monday afternoon, Eastern time, of course, the Rams cornerback Jalen Ramsey and tight end Tyler Higbee have both been placed on the COVID list. So What? Yeah, so we're Breaking like news, we're we're hours hours away from game time, and we're just we're gonna we're gonna operate under the assumption that those are the only two guys that missed the game for the Rams. But I think that only plays into the narrative that we already have. So, Kale, let us now shift into the past tense about a game that is in the future tense, and tell me what happened last night. I do think that news actually does sully a bit of uh, my point, but. It, it shouldn't too much because I think the Car- the Cardinals had as dominant a performance as they could have had on Monday Night Football, firing on all cylinders offensively, getting their laundry list of skill position players involved in the offense. I think the Cardinals, as a 10-2 team, now 11-2 team after winning on Monday night, uh, this team hasn't earned the respect uh, it honestly rightfully deserves at this point as a potential contender in the playoff picture. I don't really understand fully. I, I'm excited to watch it in the offseason how this team really turned things around for them uh, and became overnight seemingly in, in the course of an offseason uh, one of, if not the best team in football playing the, in the toughest division in football. But man, the Arizona Cardinals are finally going to get the recognition they deserve by absolutely trouncing the Los Angeles Rams live on ESPN. You almost stuck with the past tense the whole way, but I'm I'm very forgiving of you for for slipping into the future for a little bit at the end. Yeah, it was it was a good try. It was a, a very honest try. I am in full agreement. That was that was the moment where the Cardinals announced their arrival. That's what I think happened last night. Is we saw the Rams were missing so many key guys. Not only those, not only Ramsey, who's a core tenant of the defense, but no Henderson out of the backfield. Akers has been gone all year, so you're you're trying to get Sony Michelle as the bell cow back out there. That clearly didn't work out. Stafford's been going through it recently. He's really the past five six weeks not looked like the guy he was early in the season, and that Cardinals defense just kind of exposed that a little bit. You know, they were able to neutralized Cooper Cup. He got his typical nine catches or so, but the uh, other than that, you know, he didn't get a touchdown. He held him to about 70 yards, and OBJ and Van Jefferson, those are going to be the guys that have to step up for the Rams the entire rest of the season, and so far they really have not been able to do that except against the team coached by Urban Meyer. So that was that was what we expected, and that's what I think happened. You got very detailed in your actually predicting stat lines for these players, so I'll give you one of my own. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, 11 targets, 9 receptions, 129 yards, uh, and at least one touchdown. He might have two depending on uh, when they stop passing. But, I mean, there are just 
There's so many weapons on this Cardinals team. I, I don't understand how this offense has gotten the respect it's it's rightfully earned at this point. Maybe it's because Kyler's, you know, yeah. comes up to my. It's the Colt. It's the like, Colt McCoy weeks too. It's you, but the you fact just that they were know. winning against legitimate opponents in those Colt McCoy teams. No, 100. percent I just they we haven't seen it in a while except for last week. So I think this is going to be just a nice reminder of what this Cardinals team has really given us no evidence that they aren't throughout the season. Like, this is... We just keep wanting to doubt them, and they just keep shoving it right back in our face. So until until we have legitimate reason to doubt them, I'm not going to. And I'm also not going to keep this podcast going any longer, Kale. We're, we're, we're out of here. It's Christmas break. I'm getting on a flight back to California tomorrow. You're hopping in the car and driving back to Long Island, and we'll just have to do this Zoom thing every week until mid-January, but... I look forward to it nonetheless. These weekly chats, whether in person or on Zoom, are, are certainly a highlight. So enjoy your holiday break, buddy. You as well, Jackson, and, and to the listeners as well. Yes, we hope so. We hope you all are having lovely holiday seasons. Absolutely. All right. Love love to all. Uh, happy, all happy, happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. For Kale, I'm Jackson, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you.